Uh, this morning, our sermon is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 and 50. We'll be uh, jumping back into our sermon series in Matthew's gospel or continuing in that series. Again, uh, it's Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50. Uh, it's on page 818 of the Black uh, House Bibles in front of you if you don't have one. Uh, Kevin Larson, our lead pastor, will be preaching to us this morning. Uh, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand and read, follow along as I read out loud this passage. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Kevin, you come on up. I'll pray for you. Father, thank you for today and uh, the opportunity to gather together. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to behold wonder and truth in your word. God, that you would lead us to truth about Jesus, and Father, that you would speak even to Kevin as you speak through him to us and through your word. Um, make us more and more into the people that you have called and created us to be. Uh, we love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife wanted me to clarify that the women's event is actually from 10 to 12, so you can show up an hour early if you want. It's okay, Jeff. No problem. Uh, I want to start out with a, a question this morning. Um, it's one that we try to ask around here a lot, but what do you see as your core identity? More specifically, who would you say are your people? What would you say is your pursuit? In other words, what are you all about as a person? These are important questions. They're ones that I believe Jesus guides us toward in our passage today, and they're answers that lead to blessing, that lead to freedom. Scholars have, have pointed out three audiences here as we go through Matthew. You have the Pharisees, of course. They op oppose Jesus, his, his ministry's message. You have the disciples. They receive Christ in his words. And the crowds, they seem interested but they have to make a decision about who he is. Here we see Jesus repeatedly harassed by the Pharisees in this chapter, teaching the people here, the crowds, calling them to come and follow him too, and explaining here what that all means, what it involves. That's what we see in chapter 12, verses 46 through 50 of Matthew, and it's a message that we sorely need to hear today. Jesus, it seems to me, guides us here in two main ways. He says something about his people, this family he's bringing together, but he also teaches us what it means to be a part, how these people follow after him. But before we get there, I think it also reveals something about Jesus himself. Um, one scholar that I, I love and trust, he's the, his is the main commentary that we as a team use as we prepare in Matthew, D.A. Carson. He explains that, yeah, these verses talk a lot about this community that Jesus is bringing together, and we're going to talk about that. But he also says that these verses have massive Christological implications. In other words, they shout out big things about Jesus. 
How's that? Well, he's going to talk about the church's calling, our calling to obedience, obedience to the Father, but how do they, how do we learn what that even is? Through Christ, right? We just read, we're to do the will of the Father. How do we go about that? Carson writes this, the doing of that will turns on obedience to Jesus and his teaching, according to Matthew, for it was Jesus who preeminently revealed the will of the Father. Carson then points to Matthew 11, verse 27. This is right before the, the known passage where Jesus says, come to, to me, you who are heavy laden, come for rest. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what's that again? Well, Jesus is the one, he says, who reveals the Father to people. Christ is the way, he says, to know the Father's will. We'll get back to that in a minute. But look at verse 46 again. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So as we read through that passage, did you notice anything funny? Where, oh where, is verse 47? Did you, did you miss that? I did it first. If you, you happen to have your ESV open, you can look at the footnote. I'll put it on the screen. But it says this. It says, some manuscripts insert verse 47. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. But as we read that, there was no verse 47. Now, we've got many, many manuscripts of the New Testament, and some of them leave out that verse, like the, what, that's what the, the ESV chose to follow. Most think that the scribes who copied them by hand back in the day, because both verses ended with the same Greek word, they both ended up sounding pretty much the same, that they accidentally skipped over that verse. And then their version got copied and copied. But if you remember the verse we read in, in the footnote just there, they're, they're pretty much the same. They're very repetitive, right? I, I do tend to agree with those that, that, that have translated the CSB and other versions that chose to keep the verse in. But either way, we're, we're not left at all with any frustration or cluelessness about anything in the story here. And I just want you to hear that's almost always what's happening when skeptics point to what they like to call errors in the Bible. Anyway, back to the, the passage. You might have heard these words and thought they sounded kind of cold, right? Hey, Jesus, your family is outside looking for you, and Jesus seems to respond, why are you talking about those people out there? But really, here's what I think's happening. Jesus is saying true things, and we're going to get to those, but he's speaking with authority about them. He's representing his father. He's revealing his father's will. He wanted them to hear, and we have to listen to them too. But Jesus speaks authoritative words here. And God wants us to listen to them with reverence. These are holy words. He wants us to hear them with dependence. These are truths that you and I desperately need to hear. Well, today, the words of Jesus can be heard as just one noise in the cacophony of voices, one path among many. But no, he says he is the path. And we need to hear his words rising above the den. 
These words here in Matthew 12, they're vital for our health and our growth. But we have so many of his words. Don't let the fact that you may have a red letter Bible, don't let that confuse you. All of our Bibles, every verse, every word are the words of Jesus. And we need to listen to them. And so I just ask, will you listen with me today as we gather weekly? Will you listen to him during your week as you gather with your MC, as you seek the Lord privately in your times with him? He is our authority. Well, let's move on now to what are really the two main points of this story here. We just saw what this says about Jesus. Let's think about what this says about his people. So here, verses 48 and 49 with me again. But he replied to the man who told them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, there's more arguing that can take place around these verses as well. Rome has taught that that Mary, Christ's mother, wasn't just a virgin when she was born, but she stayed that way, perpetually, perpetually a virgin, that's the claim. So they've tried to say that the brothers here, they weren't really Jesus's brothers. No, they were... Joseph's kids from a different marriage, they were kids of Mary's sisters, but there's really no evidence of that. But before we think about what it means, here's what I don't think the Lord is saying. He's not saying, blow off your family, make them dead to you. No. Because if we, if we turn to a few pages past, a, a section we'll get to soon in Matthew 15, Jesus goes off on the Pharisees for trying to find a loophole to not take care of their parents. In 1 Timothy 5.8, and again, all scripture is the word of Christ, the Lord says that not caring for your family means that you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So I don't think Jesus is saying that. What Jesus is talking about is our priority here, where our ultimate loyalty lies. Jesus has come and he's not just saved individuals, he's brought his people, we who believe into gospel community. He's made us family together. Now, the New Testament calls the church the household of faith in Galatians 6.10 and the household of God in numerous places in the New Testament. Throughout the book of Acts and the epistles, members of the church are referred to as brothers. And yeah, that's a plural term that includes sisters, of course. Chorus were made for family, And Jesus clearly says here that family comes first. That family comes first, full stop. They say blood is thicker than water. Spirit is thicker than blood, according to Jesus. God the Spirit binds us together in a way that's something greater altogether that lasts forever. So I argue, not everyone agrees, but family isn't just a metaphor here. It describes this new reality, something that Jesus came and bought with his own blood. We're born anew by the Spirit. We're adopted by our Father. That's us, the family. I like the way Jared Wilson recently put it. He writes, there's one institution greater than all others, greater than any nation, more important than any group or organization, more permanent even than marriage and familial blood. It is the church. Now, those sound like wild words today, and we're not even going to really get in today some of the crazy church 
things the church does and has done. We don't have time for that. But it's just hard to imagine how challenging those words would have been back in that day. Author Joseph Hellerman, he's, he writes about the church as a family, and he talks about the movie Titanic. I know that's an old one, but I bet but most of you have seen it. And he talks about how Rose is engaged to this not-so-great man that she doesn't love at all, but who happens to be extremely wealthy. So it's an arranged marriage, as happened then, and so often happens in other parts of the world today. And it's really the only hope for her widowed mom to maintain their high social status. But then she meets Jack, right? Leonardo DiCaprio. And she chooses love, right? Now, Hellerman talks about how Christ's audience, and again, really so much of the world today would have been appalled by that choice because there are cultures that prioritize the group over the individual. And there was nothing more important, nothing more fundamental than your physical family, right? Today in our Western American culture, due to the breakdown of the family and because we're all so individualistic, it's just way harder for us to make our church, our local church, our spiritual family, a priority much at all. We can't imagine, can we, Rose choosing, not choosing Jack, Imagine if the movie would have ended like that. People would have been throwing popcorn at the screen. It can sound crazy for us to put Jesus and his people first, but that's the way Jesus says it's meant to be. And think about this. Again, with all the church's warts, if he's willing to say something like this, if he's willing to identify with us like that, and you and I, we get to look in the mirror every day, how can we not think the same way about the people around us here? Now, it's not as if I don't think that this still pushes against our family priorities today. Some of you have family that are Christians, and thank God for that. And you still need to, to honor them. But you still have to prioritize what Jesus says here. I've seen families who call themselves believers who resist their kids going on the mission field. I've seen them fight children who feel called to noble but low-paying professions, unfortunately, like teaching or the arts. And those believers had to say, i got to follow Jesus here. I want you to catch something here. There's no mention of Joseph here, right? Jesus is the oldest kid. If Mary is a widow, all the pressure in that culture would have gone on Jesus to take care of her but he still says these words, right? Christ understands what he's asking of us. Again, Jesus loves his mom even to the end. On the cross, you may remember at the end of the Gospel of John, in chapter 19, the Lord speaks to her, speaks of John and says, Mother, hey, here's your son. He'll, he'll care for you now. And then he tells John, behold your mother. I'm, I'm gonna trust her with you now. That's Jesus, but the Lord still is not unclear throughout where his priority lies and where ours should be as well. Many of you don't have a Christian family. And that, of course, can be way harder. Maybe you go home for Christmas and you get mocked for what you believe. Think of cultures like Japan, where I've been numerous times, where going against the group 
especially parents, can get you shut out. It can get you shunned. In many parts of the world, in many other cultures, it can get your throat slit. It can. But Jesus understands this too. Look at verse 46. Christ's mother and brothers aren't with the others inside listening to Jesus. They're outside. Okay, we don't get the full picture here in in Matthew 12, but Mark 3, verses 20 and 21, tells us that they're concerned. They think Jesus has gone mad, and they clearly don't believe in his claims. John 7, 5 tells us that later, that they don't believe. Well, they eventually do. His brothers end up leading the Jerusalem church. That gives us hope if our families resist the Lord. But my point here is Jesus gets it. He does. He's with you there. The Lord Jesus says so clearly here again, our family is first and foremost those believers who make up the church. And yes, this is in a way something that applies to the universal church. Do you know that term? All Christians, all times, all places. But it primarily ends up lived out in the life of the local church. Some Christians in some time, in some place, like us together here in Chorus. We have to watch out. Lest we have this mentality, everybody's my family, and we try to love generally in some sort of way, and we don't ever end up loving or bearing with anyone truly at all. The local church is God's gift for our growth as Christians. His family is made up of male and female, old and young, black and white, poor and rich, of of different interests and gifts, of different experiences and levels of immaturity, and frankly, a lot of people that drive us nuts, right? It's as we spend our time with real people, with redeemed sinners that we learn to love, And we really learn what Jesus is talking about here. Now, our our individualism and consumerism have really only gotten worse since COVID, where, if we're honest, we all kind of grew fond of staying in our pajamas, you know, and watching church on TV. Many have therefore decided they didn't really need church at all, but I'd argue that's because they never grasped the gravity of what Jesus says in these verses here. I want you to hear me, Karis. Church is essential. The people of God is where it's at. It's not a building. It's not an event. It's not a worship service. It's not a program. It's certainly not a product. It's a family, and Jesus is committed to that family, and we have to commit to it as well. We're meant for family. Well, I want to move on to what Jesus says in the next verse. We've seen what the passage says about Jesus We've heard what it says about his people. Let's notice what it says about their pursuit. Here, verse 50 again. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Here's what this can't mean. Obey the Father. He says, good job, welcome in. No, not at all. We can't earn our way into the family of God. That's what the Pharisees were trying to pull off, right? Being right with Jesus, being in this family, isn't based on works. It's by grace. It's through faith. What these verses do declare is the main characteristic of people who are in the family. They seek to obey. 
They seek to do the will of his, of our Father in heaven. That's our pursuit. As Jesus puts it in Matthew 6.33, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or at least we try, right? It's our passion. If we're his, children of our Father, if we're in this family of God, this is our pursuit. I've been reading together um, with some men J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, and he says in there, that it's one of the most beautiful chapters I've ever read, but if we've been adopted by a father who's good, it'll transform the way we live. We'll want to imitate him. We'll want to glorify our dad. We'll want to please our father in heaven. We'll long to do his will, and then we'll, we will display that we're a part of his kingdom family. One clarification here, Jesus isn't talking here about some mysterious will that he has for our lives, like something that's been lost that we have to go and find. He's talking here about the truths he's given us and for our good in his word. Even more narrowly, he's talking about his kingdom teachings, like we've seen here in Matthew. Jesus is calling us to humility before him and his word into submission in front of them to hear what he has said to what he desires for our lives. We can't confuse this either. To be clear, Christianity isn't just assenting to some truths in our heads. It's trusting Christ in our hearts and seeing that evidenced in our lives. Otherwise, we'll be like those people that we heard Jesus talk about back in Matthew 7 that yell out, Lord, Lord, but they've not done his will. And Jesus says they'll be shut out on the last day, displaying through that that they were never a part of his family. Today, we have convinced ourselves that we're autonomous. Through our activity and frenetic activity, we try to somehow create an identity where we feel good about ourselves. We don't see ourselves as human beings who have been made by him, who belong to him. And if we're honest, we have to fight against this even when we become a part of his family. He is our Lord, church. We are his. He calls the shots, not us. He's given us an identity, this family, and that leads to a certain kind of activity where we join in with Jesus whose primary pursuit in his life was what? To do his father's will. So obedience is what's expected, Karis. Now, I want to dive in further. I want to talk further about application here, and I want to take it three ways. I want to talk about some struggles, some blessings, and some connections. So first, struggles. Hello, it's really difficult to live this out today. I want to talk about tribes and love for a minute. So author Mark Sayers, an Australian, has argued that one big result of our lust for personal freedom and a, lock, a loss of faith in institutions like the church, one of the results is an absence of community added to a lack of meaning. So, so many of us today are lonely and we're aimless. So he argues, and I think he's right, to fill up that void, people are running to all these different groups of people. They're chasing all these crazy pursuits 
They're idolizing all the wrong things and they're demonizing the other side and it's led to all this chaos we see. Tribalism is tearing apart our land, church. But as we've seen, we're brought into a community around our Lord. We're no longer alone. We're no longer without a purpose. We live to honor him, to do our Father's will, to spread his kingdom, to call more and more people to become its citizens, to live as an embassy of heaven. And that won't let us, will it, fit comfortably in any political party or any tribe. And there's thousands of them today. Are you a Republican or Democrat, a conservative, a progressive? I'm a Christian. I'm not about the elephant. I'm not about the donkey. I want to be about the lamb who was slain. Now that'll lead us to taking stands on policies and practices that will make both sides mad. It'll make a lot of people mad. It'll be hard to feel like we really fit in anywhere, right? Except among his family, this group of people who are trying and praying to do his will will feel homeless like Jesus, right? We'll proclaim the truth, but we'll do it with love, on love. That's what's so key today and so missing. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord, right? The second, to love our neighbor as ourself. The law is summed up in love, Galatians 5. There's not much love going around today. And we can easily convince ourselves as Christians, that love, just being nice, is optional? Again, as tribes, they hurled their grenades across the walls at one another today, we can so easily buy into this mentality that we define ourselves by who we hate. But if we're going to do his will, it all starts, really ends with love. We can't be a people who choose to just go around telling it like it is or you know, espousing ideas like my facts, they don't care about your feelings. No, we can stand above the fray as sons of our Father and walk in the way of the one who is obedient unto death, even death on a cross out of love. This is our people here. This is our pursuit. We don't need those tribes. We're the family of God. Second blessings. Now, it would be easy to hear some of the things I've said and hear a lot about suffering, a lot about sacrifice. You know, I got to turn away from my family. I have to die to my desires, that kind of thing. But walking with Jesus, doesn't that give us so many blessings? Think of the rest of, of Matthew 6.33. If we seek first the kingdom of, his God, of God and his righteousness, what does it say? All these things will be added to us. It's a beautiful promise. We get the blessing... Here's one, a family. You get to be a mother or a father or a brother or sister to those in your church, but guess what? Uh, They're that for you too, right? In Mark, Jesus says these words, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I recently finished 
Ortland and Albury's book, You're Not Crazy. You'd be crazy not to love that book, by the way. They say that Jesus is staking his reputation on that promise that we just read. They say if the promise isn't true, then Jesus isn't true. And then they write this. This is kind of long. Bear with me. But it's so good. You will have houses, homes in which you're welcome, places where people truly get you, where you feel most understood, lands where you deeply feel you belong. You'll have family, people who are given to you as fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And lest his promises sound utterly idealized, there will be a side order of persecutions too, whether or not we ordered them. It's hard to overstate the grandeur of what Jesus is saying here. Whatever is to our relational loss in coming to Jesus and following him will be made up for by a couple orders of magnitude. Jesus promises that with him we'll never be relationally out of pocket. He's not even promising that whatever we lose, he'll give us a bit more. He's promising us a hundredfold return. Jesus doesn't promise health and wealth. He doesn't promise a life without hardship where everything only gets better and easier. He does promise deep and rich community, the likes of which we'd never have without him. The blessings of family. But have you ever thought about the blessing of obedience, of doing God's will? Now, if you say to me that the Bible is not meant to be an instruction manual, I think you're, you're basically right. But this book reveals our God how he acts in the world. It tells us who we're meant to be and how we're best meant to live. Think about this. The God who made the world and made each of us tells us how things are meant to work. And pursuing Jesus and doing our Father's will gives us true freedom. We live as we're meant to live. That's why Psalm 119.2 says, David says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart. Third, I want to move to connections. I can't not talk, that's a double negative, I can't not talk about how these two big statements of Jesus are connected. And I can't neglect to mention how they're tied to our mission in the world. Maybe you've heard this before about how people describe the deepest union in marriage. Well, the husband and wife, they're, they're both moving upward seeking the Lord, the closer their paths get as they meet, there's unity that's deep and real. It's the same with us, the people of God. As we pursue what gives God pleasure, as we more and more want to be with people who want that same very thing, as we want that, we experience again that oneness, being loved and loving ourselves. Also, there's nothing that shapes our character and conduct like the company we keep. We can't forget that. Do we want to honor God? If we want to do his will, nothing helps us like being with the people of God. Nothing will keep us from being with the people of God. Nothing motivates us toward action. Nothing encourages us when we fall like other followers of Jesus. So do you want to pursue God? You desperately need his people. We're a family, and we together are running toward freedom. Hear me, everyone is welcome. Anyone can get in on this. Come gather with the people of God. But our pursuit is our Father's will. It's not anything goes cool. It's 
wherever he goes, we'll follow. And that's something we can't forget. This being together, this seeking of his will, they go together. And we want freedom, and that can only be found in this family. So here's what I want you to hear. We all know that we fail. We daily don't obey. We feel most of the time miserable at pursuing our Father's will. And our only hope is his obedience for us. His death on the cross for our weaknesses and our failures. And if we get that church, we can own all of that. We can admit all of that before each other. We can be honest and open with one another. We can then be truly known and truly loved, and there's no freedom like that. And that's the way to true growth. He, by his spirit, will work obedience in us as we walk in honest community. Here's another um, connection. God has given us this calling to go and make disciples, and there's nothing more powerful than a loving family seeking to honor their father. Again, think about our, our world again. Everyone in their groups throwing rocks at one another, everyone doing life their way, learning as we all have that that's the hard way and the wrong way, it doesn't work. Imagine if we truly lived as kingdom family under the kingdom of our brother Jesus. What would it be like if our love for one another was so deep and real that it could be seen and felt by those around us? So this morning, as I was backing out of the driveway, um, I narrowly missed my son's car, and I texted my wife, hey, I about hit the car, and I said, and she said, I know, I told you it was there. And so right now, I'm gonna bring you in on a family conversation here, okay? So a couple years ago, um, I told my family, I said, do not park behind my car. If you park behind my car, I will hit that car. I will hit it, I promise. And sure enough, one day I did. And I'm just like, I told you, park behind the car and I'm going to hit your car. And so there's been this ongoing debate and the kids bring it up seriously every couple of weeks. It's like, hey, do you remember the time that dad blamed Hadley for hitting his car? <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not getting it. I told you I was going to hit the car. And so I told my wife again today, we can keep having this debate and we can just look at all the dents, you know? That's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> Imagine, church, if we had a place where we knew one another's weaknesses and we were attuned to that, where we bumped into one another and we even expected that, and then we together, as that happened, as my family has done, we forgive. What a beautiful place that would be, right? And I'm seeing him doing it here. But that is something that would be a continual blessing for us, but also for the world. So in that um, Ortland and Albury book again, they say that the church is meant to be like the planet Uranus. So bear with me for a second. So apparently, I, I'm no astronomer. Apparently, Neptune was the first planet that was ever discovered by mathematics rather than observation. Did you know that? So in other words, they didn't find it. They didn't find Neptune through a telescope they noticed that something was actually tugging at and pulling on the planet Uranus and pulling it off its orbit. They came to realize that another planet, Neptune, existed and was behind all this. So they write, 
The existence and location of Neptune was a mathematical certainty before anyone sets eyes on it. And then they go on. A church, your church, is to be so marked by the love of Christ that his existence will be believed even when he himself isn't seen. We're to be gospel truth incarnated in gospel culture, doctrinal beauty creating relational beauty. As the world looks on, they will see what appears to be all sorts of irregularities, deviations from the normal passive behavior, such as sins freely confessed, grace extended and received, people honored and encouraged, and the welcome of Christ made manifest through mutual care and embrace. As a result, the presence and smile of Jesus himself will become a felt human reality. Such wonders will be deeply curious irregularities to a watching world. Lines of behavior that don't move in the directions people have come to expect. An orbit of life that is unmistakably different. Instances of deep love that reveal the gravitational pull of a greater and unseen presence. Undeniable signs that this community of believers is held together by nothing less than a divine love. The spectator who begins to ponder these earthbound irregularities will by grace be directed to the perfectly heavenly source of them all. So, yeah, the planets teach us a lot about the Lord who made them. So, Karis, what a thought that God could use our family, a family that seeks to obey, first and foremost to love, to impact the world. Let's beg God to do this. Recently, a single brother in our family suddenly had to get out of his apartment on like a day's notice. So the couple who leads up his MC saw it immediately as their responsibility. They helped him move out. They assisted in finding him a new place. They got him settled in that new spot. They got other people involved. Some people stored his stuff in that MC. Most of us aren't prepared for sudden changes like that. Hey, you need to be out of your place tomorrow. Um, So our church has a family fund where we help each other when things come up. I was able to to get some funds from that to bridge the, the gap in a hotel. That couple thanked me, as did the young man, But you here gave so generously to that fund. The thanks go to you. I honor you, Karis, for taking this passage so literally. I honor you, Aaron and Maureen, who's serving the kids, for doing this literally all the time, every week. Thanks for making your life look like these verses. Living his family, following your father. I praise Jesus for what he's doing here in Karis what he's doing through us. And there's so many stories. Aaron knows this. There's so many other stories I could tell. It's happening all the time and it's beautiful. So I say, let us join our brother and king and seek to please our father as a part of his kingdom family. Next week, we're gonna jump into chapter 13 and we're gonna look at all those parables of Jesus and he's gonna talk more about what the kingdom means and so come back then. Let's pray. Father, you're worthy, as we sang. And we we praise you, Lord. And and we praise you for so many good gifts, but we praise you for one another. And just the peace and comfort and security um, it gives. Thank you for what you're doing by your spirit in us. You're good. In Jesus' name, amen.